coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, so much to get to in today's show that I figure let's just go, let's just grab because there are conflicting top stories, I would say. Let's start with the one that I think is going to have tongues wagging for the most part here in Metro Atlanta and maybe at the state governmental level, and that is House Representative Misha Maynard deciding, that's it, I'm no longer a Democrat, I am now a Republican. Maynard representing a district that 89% of voters backing Democrat Joe Biden within her district in the 2020 election has decided she's no longer Democrat, which means that she's no longer going to be in office next election cycle. That's that. She may run for something else, but that seat, she will vacate next election cycle, whether by choice or by vote. She says she changed parties because uh, Democrats don't reflect her core values. Um, I could quibble some of this. In fact, I'll go to a Q&A she did with the folks at uh, Atlanta Civic Circle. Uh, one question they asked, Georgia closed its budget year with a likely record surplus, billions of dollars in federal aid and a growing economy. Georgia spends more than half of this money on education and healthcare. What would you want to see in the budget in terms of spending or taxes? She says, as she leads the Democratic Party, that the party no longer shares her values. However, her answer, there is a disproportionate amount of black parents in prison for crimes that should be misdemeanors, creating single-parent households that live below the poverty level. That is not a Republican value, Ms. Maynard. That that, that is not something you're going to find many Republicans supporting you in even agreeing to. That fact, they won't even agree with it, let alone discuss policy to address it. But good luck with that party. Her answer continued, I want to shift unnecessary prison funding. Well, you can forget about that with your party, ma'am to returning citizen workforce development and soft skills training. Good luck, Republican Representative Misha Maynard. Since Georgia was, hang on to this. This this is the one that she's not going to get standing ovations at the state or national GOP conventions when she says, I mean, she's not going to say it, but imagine if she were on the day of saying this. Since Georgia was built with slavery as its main commerce, mm, creating generational wealth for slave owners, was the norm. Mm. Uh, therefore, if we truly want Georgia to be equitable, we must recognize and admit that 400 years of enslaving African Americans has duly impacted Georgia's economy, crime, qualified workforce, and the ability for some black families to break away from generational slave handicaps. That's the Misha Maynard, by the way, who says that she doesn't align her values with the Democratic Party, into switching to the GOP. At a press conference announcing this party switch, he says, members of the Democrat Party, not Democratic Party, I'm, it's funny, you should be, a, if you're a member of the party, you know it's the Democratic Party, have publicly slandered me in every way imaginable. If it's not your values to support kids in schools where only 3% can read, I don't have the same values, she said. Now, it's not just school choice where Misha Maynard broke with the Democratic Party. She was, however, the only Democrat to support the bill 
that didn't pass that would have allowed $6,500 of taxpayer money to go towards students going to private schools. But she also backed some bills to create a state board to investigate district attorneys, you know, like Fonnie Willis, who, by the way, has convened two grand juries investigating Donald Trump and his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Why would a Democrat support that? She also backed the bill to ban COVID vaccination requirements. She also backed a bill that would have disallowed local governments, county, city, town governments from removing funds from or diverting funds from law enforcement into other realms within law enforcement, but not necessarily spearheaded or earmarked specifically for hiring officers, weapons, vehicles, et cetera, and so on. But she's going to join the limited government GOP. It's just so funny. Uh, Republicans always like to talk about how they cannot stand federal overreach, but state overreach, they are all for it as long as they are controlling the state. They're all for it. They're actually all for federal overreach as well. I mean, the Department of Homeland Security, the Patriot Act, those are Republican concoctions. They, what, double the size of the federal government? But again, they're usually for limited government when it comes to limiting profit and marginalization over the underprivileged. Uh, she, what else? There was one other thing that she also bought the Democratic Party on. Oh, yeah, yeah. There were uh, some bipartisan appointments to local elections boards in South Georgia, and she went with the Republicans instead of the Democrats on that as well. Um, she did, by the way, say once before that she wasn't going to switch parties. She instead said that she wanted to try and work with some skeptical Democrats to join her stance on public safety and school vouchers. But here we are. Uh, she did release this video uh, to social media earlier today, explaining sort of why she made the choice. I am State Representative Misha Maynard, and I represent District 56 in the heart of our state's capital. We have been on a journey together for two terms, and we've had some wins, but there is a better path and we can do so much more. That is why today I am announcing that I am joining the Republican Party. Okay, so that's the path that she's chosen to take. Good for her. Uh, I personally have never been fond of people elected to office in the middle of their terms, switching parties, without... Instead, saying, I'm going to step down and switch parties and call for a special election. I mean, I really think that that's, and, I, and I'm not just saying this because a D is becoming an R. I'm saying that that should actually be left to the voters. If you run for an office as a Team A, and then you decide, I actually believe more with what Team B says, but thanks for voting for me a year ago, y'all. The, the the voters should have the mechanism. And I mean, I, I imagine there is a recall. If I have not Googled this or researched this, and I apologize. But should the voters have to go through the process of petitioning to recall you and then call for a special election? See, this becomes expensive, right? There are now two election cycles that have to happen in order to get her replaced. And she's going to be up for office uh, again in a year. And she is running for re-election. Again, in a district that voted 89% for Joseph R. Biden in the 2020 election. To that I say, I hope you enjoyed your two terms. They're up soon.
One thing I welcome about this change for her is this. In that same Q&A with the folks at the Atlanta Civic Circle, the question was asked. There were politicians who questioned the outcome of the Georgia elections in 2018 and 2020. Do you think Georgia's elections are secure, and will you stand by the results? She's now a Republican, so there are now, at least, it is now at least one more Republican who gave the right answer. I absolutely stand by the results that President Joe Biden is the winner of the 2020 presidential election, she said. The losers are those that are choosing to destroy their party in an effort to appease a small percentage of Republicans. Here, here, Republican Representative Misha Maynard of Atlanta, Atlanta's West Side, that voted 89% with Joe Biden. It is refreshing to hear a Republican give that answer. Good for you. I mean, of course, she'll be standing right next to another defector, Vernon Jones, very soon, to likely campaign for the presumptive nominee of the GOP, who, oh, by the way, now wants to delay the federal documents case until after the 2024 election. Yeah, why, why do you think that is? You don't, you don't think he might want to just milk that to continue fundraising off of the rubes who continue to send him, who is sending this man money? But that's exactly what he's seeking to do. Now, in full transparency, it must also be pointed out that federal prosecutor Jack Smith also has sought a delay in the federal documents case until December of this year, not until December of next year, until December of this year. You know, before primary voters start weighing in on who the GOP nominee will be. Just hilarious. I mean, it's it's so transparent what Donald Trump is trying to do. Because what happens if that case is then put off, and I mean, the polls don't show it happening, but what if it does? What if he happens to get elected again? And then he's sworn in as he's being investigated by the DA. All of a sudden, that executive privilege starts coming right back to him on January 20th, 2025. The motion filed to delay by Trump and his attorneys until after the 2024 election states President Trump is running for president of the United States and is currently the likely Republican Party nominee. This undertaking requires a tremendous amount of time and energy. And that effort will continue until the election on November 5th, 2024. That according to an attorney or the attorneys for Trump uh, and his associate, Walt Nada, who filed concurrently. Anyway, that's what they wrote in a joint court filing late yesterday. The filing continues, such preparation requires significant planning and time, making the current schedule untenable and counseling in favor of a continuance. There was no official comment from the Office of the Special Counsel. Remember, Jack Smith, again, as I said before, had already sought a delay before uh, U.S. District Judge Aileen Cannon uh, until December 11th, allowing for both sides a little bit more time to prepare. So again, no no statement from the spokesperson for the special counsel's office, uh, but they did say that the office intends to file a response in the coming days. I mean, I'm no attorney, and I don't know what sort of legalese uh, equates. Get the f- out of here. 
You gotta be me. Serious? You think you think we don't see what you're doing here? There's gotta be some e pluribus and some some of that Latin speak in legalese terms that they can whip that sort of a statement <laughs> as a response, right? Come on. And honestly, the saddest part of all of this is he is the leading GOP nominee for the <laughs> he is the leading choice for the nomination for the GOP <laughs> to seek the presidency in 2024. That's what's really sad. The gambit, the attempt is pretty weak and pathetic as it is. The fact that the GOP voting base, by a widening margin, DeSantis is just not liked. Anyway, yeah, he's not wrong. <laughs> a plurality of the GOP voting base does See him as the leading nominee, which is sort of pathetic. More Ron Show after this. America One Radio or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show. So where we left off was Donald Trump. Yes, I readily agree with Donald Trump and his attorneys. He is the leading GOP nominee. That is the basis for his filing a brief to have his federal documents case delayed until after the 2024 election, after November 5th. 5th, 2024, to, you know, allow him to run for president of the United States while indicted (laughs) on federal charges, on state charges in New York, soon to be on state charges in Georgia. He wants to be free and clear to run for president of the United States, the office he held that put him in a position to be indicted for all that he's been indicted for and will be indicted for soon. He wants to delay prosecution for these charges until after the election so that he can run for that office again. And pray tell, what if he won? Well, that, well, well then it's executive privilege. We, we can't, yeah. You'll, you'll just have to wait until after he serves that four-year term. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. And, and, and to me, the funniest part about it all is <laughs> that he is the leading GOP nominee. It's breath. I said this yesterday. I was talking with the uh, the pastor from Hartwell, Georgia. By the way, cool guy. Check out that show yesterday. We talked with uh, Grant Meyerholtz at uh, Mount Hebron Baptist Church. You would think I'm going religious all of a sudden. I've been talking to all these ministers and preachers lately, right? Uh, no, he's a cool guy. Uh, kind of an all welcoming. Y'all means all. No one left out. I mean, his church is growing, whereas most churches aren't. Anyway, we we were just kind of talking about how it angers me that there are. Good souls, well-meaning people who are duped into a political ideology that runs afoul of the ideology of the man and the deity, the son of that deity and that deity, that they profess to believe so passionately in and of. But here we are, Donald Trump, who doesn't exhibit any religious, moral leanings whatsoever is the second coming to a lot of these folks. Which has you, I think, wondering, with all of his baggage, with all of the negatives, with grabber by the pussy, why, why is there no one who has sort of overtaken him when it comes to winning over the GOP base? God knows they're trying. Oh my God, uh, Eric Erickson, of all people, who, by the way, was complaining that he was being fat-shamed 
or stereotyped for being, you know, the, the pasty white jowly, you know, overweight dude uh, and conservative, while also today mocking the anti-racist white folks who gather to discuss anti-racism. I mean, he literally tried to pigeonhole them. Sandal wearing, how uh, was it? Uh, colored uh, wire uh, framed eyeglasses, trans kid. I mean, just totally tried to play the stereotype. A- anyway, Eric Erickson, of all people, shared this video that he shared via Twitter with the words, this right here, lots of this, this is pitch perfect. Have a listen to this. I'm not really a fan of what's going on right now. I mean, the Democrats are just unbelievable. It's a mess. It's a, it's a hot mess. I love Donald Trump. I love what he did. Once he got in, my thought it was a breath of fresh air. He was attacked in all the time, and it seemed like, you know, it just seemed nonstop. The drama, it affected my family. I mean, you know, with my own sister. I didn't get invited to her Thanksgiving after a while. He's got so many distractions. The constant fighting, something every day. And I'm not sure he can focus on moving the country forward. The election is really important because we're going in the wrong direction. I mean, we definitely need somebody that can freaking win. I think you'd probably lose that bet if you voted for Trump. You want somebody that's smart, who actually knows how to build teams to solve issues, focus on the issues that really need to be fixed. When a backpack is responsible for the content of this ad. Okay, so it doesn't surprise me that Eric Erickson is sharing that video because he fell off the Trump train. I believe it was January 7th. He was officially like, nope, no more. He's all but said he's backing Ron DeSantis, who is the lead second choice in the GOP. But that, by the way, even that's imperiled. Uh, Well, I mean, he doesn't have like a serious third, but he's growing closer to being the rest of the pack versus growing closer to overtaking or even coming close to sniffing. Donald Trump's poll numbers. And while I could sit here and quibble about the content of the video, oh, Democrats, what a mess. Really? What a mess? You mean unemployment at historic lows? Black unemployment at historic lows? Inflation shrinking? Not enough employees for the jobs? But what what a mess? When when you parse it with, and by the way, the guy in the video said he loved what Donald Trump did. Really? COVID-19? First three years of the Trump economy, trailing the last three years of the Obama economy. No, instead, let's let's focus on the angst, the angst in the GOP, because Donald's poll numbers rarely go over fifty percent in primary polling. I think there have been some in recent months where it's like, oh, he's a little over fifty. Oh, oh, he's just below. By and large, he's never he's never maintaining residence at fifty percent or better. So a majority of Republicans, I would say in most cases, don't want Donald Trump to be the nominee, but they can't coalesce behind one candidate. And that one candidate was supposed to be, remember the narrative? It was supposed to be Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis just isn't liked. He's not. He's not liked. He's not liked in his own state. And I would argue that the reason he got reelected wasn't so much about Ron DeSantis as much as it was about Charlie Crist. Yes, that was who Ron DeSantis defeated to get reelected governor of Florida, Charlie, former Republican Christ, the Democratic Party nominee. What the hell is going on with the Democratic Party in Florida, by the way? Oh, and how about this headline, CNN? Florida is now America's inflation hotspot. 
Brian Mania and Alicia Wallace reporting. This dropped just a few days ago. Florida's America's inflation hotspot because of a persistent problem with sky-high housing costs. The Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach area has the highest inflation rate of metro areas with more than 2.5 million residents with a 9% inflation rate for the 12 months ended in April. That's more than double than the national average of 4%, according to data from the Consumer Price Index. Tampa St. Pete Clearwater had the third highest inflation rate in the country at 7.3% for the year ended in May. The story goes on. In Florida, the state's growing population has been pushing up inflation, particularly via housing costs. It's a trend that accelerated during the pandemic when remote work gave some Americans the freedom to relocate, economists say. Florida's population grew the most of any state from July 2021 to July 2022 because of domestic migration, according to the Census Bureau's latest estimates. During that same period, Florida also had the fastest population growth by percent the first time it is not that top spot since 1957. If this problem sounds familiar, it's because it is. It's the same problem California has endured for the last 30 years and why it's expensive to live in California. Not because of liberal policy, but because of appeal. But make no mistake, its governor is not appealing to anyone outside that state. Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email Ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So one of my loyal listeners is actually a really good friend of mine as well. Uh, he texts me when he hears something that he wholeheartedly agrees with and he hasn't texted me yet. <laughs> When I say something he wholeheartedly disagrees with, but I expect to get a text from my good friend Ludwig uh, upon listening to this segment. So over the weekend, uh, he and I and a couple of our friends, his fiance and another friend uh, of ours, uh, went and saw The Sound of Freedom. And I didn't really know why I wasn't excited about seeing it. I just knew that I wasn't excited about seeing it. To be honest, I, I am a single 49 year old gay man with no kids. And I'm not saying that I'm not disgusted by the child sex slave industry. It, it very much grosses me out. It's disgusting. It's I mean, it, the sex slave trade period is gross, but specifically with regards to children, just bleh. I, I guess I just wasn't excited about seeing a movie that was based around the prospect of busting up the child sex slave trade. It's like, ugh, I, ugh. I mean, kudos to whoever's convicting or capturing these thugs, these gross individuals. Go for it. I don't want to see a movie about it. I just knew I didn't want to see it. And I knew from just periphery learning that there was some sort of back and forth tug, this uh, own the libs thing going on about this that I really paid no attention to because... Uh, again, the movie didn't appeal to me. I didn't see much point in taking a side on it one way or the other. I think Mel Gibson was somehow involved, right? And he's a bit of a, how do you say it, anti-Semite? Um, publicly, uh, or in a racist, I believe. Yeah, there, there's some there's some racist stuff that's floated out of his mouth a time or 12. And I, I don't know, it just didn't appeal to me. Did not appeal to me to see this movie. My friend Ludwig, however... Uh, got a free pass or said I could get a free pass and I still wasn't excited. In fact, I tried to get on the website on my phone to get the free pass just to appease them. Yeah, fine. I'll go. It's at seven o'clock. No big deal. Whatever, you know, something to do. Um, and it was trouble getting the ticket. I was like, oh, this is such a pain. I, I almost gave up and said, y'all enjoy it. Just tell me all about it. 
anyway, the, the, the pass showed up in my inbox. I don't know how. And uh, so, all right, fine. I'll go see it. I saw it. And upon first inspection, I watched it and I thought, first of all, it's a little Hollywoodized. And that is my term for how Hollywood really sets a tone for a movie using like uh, color or lack of color or lighting or lack of lighting. And boy, they just went to and fro with that. Uh, everything in South America was dingy and grainy and dark. Even in Honduras, everything was dirty and brown and dingy and dark. And back home in uh, Jim Caviezel's character's home, uh, Timoteo, uh, Timothy Ballard is the real-life uh, uh, former Homeland Security agent who was uh, the centerpiece of this story. Anyway, his home couldn't have been brighter. I mean, it was almost angelic. Only thing missing were floating clouds. It was so bright. It was so pristine. And uh, the kids were all adorable. And lots of kids uh, in that house. He and the wife having lots of kids. Uh, anyway, you just the, 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 the Hollywoodization of that was just like, it couldn't have been, you know, good versus evil anymore. Bright, white, dingy, dark. And it, it sort of made a hero of Timothy Ballard, who is the linchpin of the organization called Operation Underground Railroad, O-U-R, which is this program that does sting operations to capture sex slave traders. The problem is, this movie, in and of itself, made this guy out to be a hero. And I'm not saying that, like, what he does isn't noble and that his taking up this mission isn't a noble one. I, I would say, however, setting up these dangerous thing operations where cops or, or military folks come barricading into houses where there are, you know, kids present who have already been traumatized only to be traumatized by another sting operation with folks wielding weapons and telling everybody to get to the ground and getting arrested and yada, yada. It's another trauma. But also, what the movie didn't do, well, it sort of did, but it kind of didn't, as the credits were rolling. It doesn't really tell you what happens after these kids are rescued. And in a lot of cases, it ain't much. So there's all this fundraising that goes on. I read this article. In fact, I shared it to my personal Facebook. I'll put it on our Facebook page, uh, at Ron Show Radio, uh, at Ron Show ATL on Twitter and threads as well. Yes, we're on threads, at Ron Show ATL, that uh, spoke to an embedded reporter who was writing a story about uh, Operation Underground Railroad and how she herself was caught in the midst of one of these stings. She's laying, like literally describes her face on the floor, feeling the coldness of the ceramic tile and all these uh, military-style officers from head to toe in military fatigue and gear and whatnot, wielding semi-automatic rifles, yelling at people to get down and getting, you know, cuffed and zip-tied and all that stuff. (laughs) Anyway, she just talked about how, okay, yeah, it's cool, you know, no disrespect to the operation for rescuing these kids, but first of all, it's a little dangerous with the kids involved. Uh, second of all, by and large, statistically accurate here, 
that most of the kids that get rescued don't see a whole lot of follow-up treatment for the trauma that they just dealt with for hours, days, months, years, however long it was that they were involved in these operations. There's not a whole lot of follow-up. There's not a whole lot of health care. There's no, not a whole lot of mental wellness. Just, okay, congrats. Spend a week in a hospital, get checked out, go home. And I personally like to see a lot more of the fundraising apparatus for groups like Operation Underground Railroad to go towards maybe that, or at least pursuing programs at the governmental level to assist these kids who are going to be faced with lifetimes of trauma and need the therapy to grapple with what they'd endured. Just a thought. I didn't dislike the movie. I will say, going to see it at 7 o'clock on a Saturday night really didn't have me in the mood to party afterwards. Didn't feel like, you know, heading to the clubs and, you know, tipping back drinks and, you know, bottle service and all that fun stuff. I just, not that I'm of that age. Anyway, I'm just saying it, didn't, it wasn't probably the, the, the right choice for Saturday night pre-gaming because <laughs> I immediately came home and I think I went to sleep. Uh, not long after channel flipping. But you know who else had some thoughts on Sound of Freedom was one, Trey Crowder. You know we love Trey Crowder. The redneck comedian, Trey Crowder. Libs are getting owned all across the multiplex this summer as conservatives come out in droves to support the Sound of Freedom, the child sex trafficking action thriller starring renowned nutbag Jim Caviezel. The film's critics say that it's QAnon adjacent. Its supporters say that it presents a truth that the left doesn't want you to see. So let's get something straight right now, okay? Mm. Child sex trafficking is a very real issue, and it's awful. Nobody but the traffickers supports it, okay? Listen, people on the right, the only reason we're not with you 100% on this issue is because you insist on salt-baying everything with lunacy, okay? That's why you just come out and say, hey, we need to do something about this child sex trafficking problem. Everybody goes, yeah, you're right, we should. Go on, and then you say, yeah, we got to stop this shadowy global cabal of elitists who use ritual sacrifice to harvest the blood of the innocent in their <laughs> undying quest for immortality. It's like, wait, what? What kind of peasant mob was that ritual sacrifice? What are you talking about, like, Pagans in the Bloodwood or something? It's 2023, dude. What? I'm I'm good. You sound like you're about two steps away from getting out the witch burning sticks, okay? So good luck with all that, right? Like, I get it. As a parent, I'm sensitive to anything about, you know, kids being abused or or whatever. But y'all start talking about vampires, pizza, adrenochrome, and I dive out of the rabbit hole, dude. On account of how crazy that's... Do you really not realize how crazy that sounds, right? But to be fair to this movie, reportedly, it don't do none of that. The movie itself is just a standard issue action thriller with quips to match. Although, I guess the quips and Sound of Freedom is stuff like, never trust a pedophile. (laughs) Thank you, Sound of Freedom. Here I was about to sign off on this Chomo's car loan, but I guess I won't now, so good looking out. The Sound of Freedom shows that if you produce a competently made film with an actual budget and real talent behind it that panders directly to the flag and Bible brigade, then you're off to the races, buddy. That's right. There ain't no grift like a right-wing grift because a right-wing grift blows cops. That's right. This movie somehow makes these people feel like they are certified door-kicking, child-saving patriot heroes just for buying a ticket and eating popcorn in the dark. It's brilliant. 
right? And if I know anything about how Hollywood works, its success probably means we're about to see a whole trend of forthcoming Clint Eastwood-style freedom boner extravaganza. So buckle up, film goers, because I got a feeling we're just getting started here. Love y'all. But didn't we already see that genre? Did Liam Neeson not give us Taken? Taken 2? Is there a Taken 3? Like, his daughter was snatched for the child sex slave trade. He had a certain set of skills, remember? We already saw this genre. This was already been seen. And it didn't make any real person a hero. I mean, it also didn't deliver funds to the Operation Underground Railroad either. But we did see this movie genre. And I don't remember there being such a partisan kerfuffle about that movie. Or... Do I remember there being such an overflowing of hyper-patriotism and hyper-partisanship or any celebratory mood from the right about that movie either? Why is that? Meg Conley wrote the article in Slate. Well, actually, this was a, a, a while back. This this isn't even like recent. When did she write this? This was back in, uh, I want to say 2021. Yeah, May 11, 2021. She says, in 2014, I went on a vigilante raid to, quote, save kids sold for sex. What we did haunts me now. The point that I want to hone in on that she made, and, and by the way, I'm going to, again, share this uh, on the Ron Show Facebook page, Twitter and threads, at Ron Show ATL on Twitter and threads as well. Um she points this out, and uh, again, I think this is worth mentioning. Anti-trafficking work is providing support for gay and trans kids kicked out of their homes and therefore exposed to heightened risks of being trafficked. It's pushing for racial justice. It's writing and voting for policies that provide a safety net and economic certainty. Yes. Yes. And, yes, let's talk about the aftercare. There has to be some aftercare, right? You, this, this, is, this is so sort of a parallel to the anti-abortion movement. Save the babies. Save the babies. But once they're born, freeloaders, why is mama using food stamps? Get a job, lady. Get a second. Get a third job. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Who is taking care of your kid, single mama, while you're off working those three jobs? And now look, your kid's on the streets and up crime. Yeah, it's more than just about saving a baby or about saving a trafficked child. It's what you do after that matters every bit as much. Now, I will say there is this whole trope of, well, Disney owned the rights and held off on releasing it for a long time. Obviously, Disney's groomers. Well, for one, I have a hard time believing that the Disney empire made a decision about one damn movie like that for any reason other than profit. We have to remember, I believe the movie was completed in 2018 or 2019, something along those lines. There was also the purchase of one movie studio that initially owned the rights. It was, yeah, 20th century Fox originally owned the rights to the movie. And then, uh, Disney swallowed 20th Century Fox up, and a lot of movies that 20th Century Fox owned and or were working on were sort of being shelved. That happens. You know, Disney had its movies, 20th Century had their movies, and then there was a, a reprioritization of all of the movies, right? 
And there can only be so many movies out in theaters at any given point in time. Also, lest we forget, we went through a little thing called COVID-19. There was a pandemic as well. But that narrative that the groomers at Disney didn't want this movie to come out. I mean, bravo, that is top tier, likely fake, made up, nonsensical, divisive, partisan nonsense. Absolute nonsense. And why? Why do it? To draw more people out to see it? I mean, they're giving the tickets away hand over fist so that word of mouth will get out and more people will go and pay to see the movie. And I would assume donate to Operation Underground Railroad, which, by the way, likes to wow uh, deep-pocketed folks with situation rooms where they can see these raids happen from their own living room as fundraising. Ew. That's in that article in Slate, by the way, as well, which I will share in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com and on all the social media channels. My friend Ludwig had a friend who was in the movie. I'm glad we got to see it to celebrate his friend's accomplishment in cinema. The movie itself, I didn't think it was all that bad, but there's a lot more to the story. That's all I'm saying. More on show after this on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for Tuesday. Don't want to miss out on this. Yesterday, uh, Republicans in the House took the House Administration Committee uh, to the state of Georgia to announce that they're going to be calling the, quote, most conservative election integrity bill to be seriously considered in the House in over 20 years. And uh, so they had this hearing. It, by the way, they, they said they brought it to Georgia in response to Major League Baseball taking the All-Star game away from Atlanta in 2021. Well, that'll show Major League Baseball. That's right. You took that game with 38,000, 39,000 fans staying for a couple, three days in our fair city. And so to make up for that, we're going to send a dozen legislators and some media people to a big conference. Bravo. Bravo. So the bill it will be called the American Confidence in Election Act or the ACE Act. It's a bill uh, that has drawn the scorn of committee Democrats who argue it engages in denialism and falsehoods. And you know that that's true because Marjorie Taylor Greene is right behind it. Anyway, uh, it continues to fan election fraud, falsehood, disenfranchising minority voters is one of the hallmarks, of course, and puts the security of poll workers at risk, among other complaints. Marjorie Taylor Greene at this hearing. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and, and thank you uh, uh, for letting me sit in on the committee today and participate. I thank our witnesses and everyone here um, that's come to the committee uh, hearing. Elections have consequences, and certainly we are living through the consequences. We have wide open borders with over 5.3 million people who have attempted to come into our country. Fentanyl is now the number one cause of death of young people from ages 18 to 45. Marge, I thought the wall was supposed to work. And don't you know that most of the fentanyl that comes into this country comes in not on the backs or in the pockets of immigrants, but on the backs, in the pockets, or glove boxes of Americans returning home from traveling abroad. We also have uh, the, the very unfortunate circumstance of possibly uh, moving towards World War III with the escalation of the war in Ukraine and United States. Um, by the way, your former Vice President Mike Pence 
basically agreed in recent statements that he believes that the only reason Donald Trump thinks that he could end the war in Ukraine in minutes is because he would cede Ukraine to the Russians. Uh, backing it. Um, and then I, something I care a lot about is our kids. Uh, unfortunately, there is a trans ideology that is coming after our children. And I think that's something. So elections have consequences. I'm trying to remember, did Marjorie Taylor Greene have much to say when former Republican gubernatorial candidate Caitlyn Jenner was out campaigning for Donald Trump in 2020? Um, having a hard time finding that on the Google if anyone wants to help. Jenner, by the way, a former reality star from the Kardashian series. And the 2020 election <laughs> had consequences. And according to polling, as recent as June 2023, only 32% of all voters, Republican, Democrat, Independent, believe that there was no cheating in 2020. But then maybe, Marge, that's because you are among the megaphones that have been screaming about cheating and fraud and casting doubt on the election results. Not your own, of course, not Brian Kemp's, just everything your party lost. This is a very important hearing, and this is an important bill that is being presented before you. Um, and and in coming up on the 2024 election, 54% of all voters expect voter fraud. So I'm, I'm very Why glad to be participating. Uh, for my role in the ACE Act, I've introduced the District of Columbia Voter Identification Act, which will be an important piece of this package, Here it is. Uh, hopefully to be brought forward um, as, as a model for all states. This requires voter ID. And the reason why we introduced this is because in the District of Columbia, they wanted to let anyone vote, uh, foreigners, illegals, anyone that lived in the District of Columbia, including foreign nationals, uh, diplomats, um, and that shouldn't be happening. So let me clear something up that Marjorie will not clear up for you. What she's talking about is a municipal effort. That's right, a municipal effort in the District of Columbia to allow folks living in the District of Columbia to vote in municipal elections in the District of Columbia. Some of you may may not remember that this country came to be by revolt because citizens hated taxation without representation. And if you live in a city, pay taxes in said city, property taxes, sales taxes, and the ad valerum taxes that may come from city services or decals or fees or whatever. If you're paying taxes, but you don't get to vote on municipal issues, well, you get to cry about taxation without representation. A central tenet for why the American Revolution came to be in the first place. Now, I'm not suggesting that immigrants who have not obtained citizenship should be voting for who is president of the United States, serves in the halls of Congress, or anything like that. But there has to be a little bit of an asterisk when this discussion is had. Because if you pay taxes, and by the way, even the folks who are here illegally, who live here day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year, paying rent, sales taxes, etc., they're paying taxes. They should derive some goods and services, right? 
like maybe, I don't know, a clear path to citizenship, just throwing that out there. But always remember that. When you hear right-wingers talking about sending their kids to our schools, their indigent health care on our dole, et cetera, and so on, remember, folks who are here illegally residing here do pay taxes. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. We'll see you tomorrow.